0: I want to start our reading today in Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. and We welcome you today to High Point Church of Brandon. It's so good to see each of you. And for those of you that are not with us today in person, but are listening through some other form of medium, then we just invite you to join in with us for a time of study this morning. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her take heart daughter he said your faith has healed you and the woman was healed from that moment when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd he said go away the girl is not dead but asleep but they laughed at him after the crowd had been put outside he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up news of this spread through all that region this same instance is recorded in Mark and Luke also in Mark's account of it the the details the overall story is the same some of the details are a little bit different in timing but pretty much this is this is what is going on here during Jesus's earthly ministry he reached out continually to hurting people in this particular instance there was a man named Jairus that came to Jesus asking him to heal his daughter. Now, in the in Mark's account of it, we learn that Jairus was a ruler of a local synagogue. And in Mark's account, he first comes to him and says that, My daughter is sick to the point of death. My daughter is so sick that she's going to die if you don't come and heal her. So Jesus turns to go with him. But as he turns, before he could get out of the crowd, a woman that had a blood disease or a bleeding problem, or whatever it was that she had, came up behind him, and she touched the edge of his cloak. And even though the woman had sought help, she had suffered with this for 12 years, she had sought help through doctors, and she found no help. But her faith was such that she believed if she could, she didn't even have to talk to Jesus. Jesus didn't even have to, to acknowledge her. She believed that if she could just reach up and touch the, even the edge of, the, of his cloak, that she would be healed. So she made her way through the crowd. She reached out and she touched Jesus' cloak. And in Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus tr- stopped and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples looked at him and said, you're in a crowd of people. Why do you ask who touched my clothes? There's people all around you. But Jesus turned around and he sees the woman that touched him. And she was scared. I mean, here was a man that was performing all types of miracles and he has stopped everything that he's doing. And he's turned around and he looks at her. And he says to her, your faith has made you whole. And the term made whole is from a Greek word, sozo. It's often translated as delivered. It's interesting to note that this is the same word that is used often when referring to salvation in the New Testament. This made whole is exactly the same Greek word that the writers used to talk about salvation. So we see that made whole was not just from sickness, but it was also from sin. And this particular time, I believe, when Jesus said this, he was referring to both sickness and sin. When he said, you have been made whole, I believe that she was made whole, completely whole. In John 3.17, this same word, is used when jesus said that he was sent into this world that the world might be saved it's the same word made whole so we see that this this terminology is more than just we sometimes we say the word saved and we kind of pass over it quickly but it's more than just well you got saved it's more than jesus came into the world so that we can be saved We Jesus came into the world so that we could be made whole. And in Mark's account of this, before Jesus, after he heals this woman, before he can get back to his journey to go to Jairus' house, some of the servants from his house come running up and they said, don't trouble this man anymore because your daughter's already dead. Now picture this. Here's a father whose daughter was very sick. He comes to Jesus and says, My daughter's sick, but I know if you'll come and just be there and lay your hand on her that she will be healed. Jesus stops and he heals a woman. He sees this healing take place. And as he sees this healing take place, someone walks up and says, Don't bother this man anymore because your daughter's dead. Think of the hurt that is in this man. Jesus turns around, and this was his response Don't be afraid. Just believe. I believe that when Jesus healed, when Jesus made people whole, it wasn't just people that were sick, it was people that were hurting, it was people that were afraid because there was healing taking place even here. And that's what I really want us to look at today, is what did Jesus do? Who did Jesus reach out to, and what healing did he really perform? So Jesus continues on to Jairus' house, but he had everyone stay behind, all the rest of his disciples and all these followers, and he only took Peter, James, and John. Matthew 5 and 23 that we read today says that when they got to the house, the flute players and the noisy crowd were already there mourning. The girl had just died. Now, we might look at that and say, that sounds a little weird, but it was the custom of that day to hire musicians and professional mourners at a funeral. And also, we have to remember that in that day, people were often buried the same day that they died. They didn't have a lot of the the embalming process for the normal people, average people, as they did for the elite. And so people would die, and they would just do the mourning process, and they would take them and bury them. As far as the flute players and the mourners, early Jewish tradition required that even the poorest of husbands hire at least two flute players and one mourner at his wife's funeral. You just were expected to do that. In Mark's account, he says that the people at the house wept and wailed greatly. They obviously had hired some good ones. That's what they did. That's what these people were, professional mourners. They cried and screamed and hollered and and fell on the ground, and, and that was their job. And Jesus walks in the house... And he simply says, go away. The girl is not dead. She's asleep. And they think, she's got to be dead because we're professional mourners and we're here. We've been hired. And so they laugh at him. Jesus then tells those that are in charge to put these people out of the house. Get these people out of here. When the crowd was gone, in verse 25 it says that Jesus simply reached down to the girl, he took her by the hand and she got up. And as a result, the news of that miracle spread through all the surrounding areas. Going on in Matthew 9:27 through 31. As Jesus went from there, the house, Jairus's house, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done unto you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. So here's Jesus. He's just raised this little girl from the dead. He walks outside and there's these two blind men that start following him. An interesting thing to note here is that they referred to him as the son of David. And by referring to him as the son of David shows that they recognized that he was the Messiah. Because remember, the Messiah was to come down through the lineage of David. So to call him the son of David says, this is the Messiah. And even though they were blind, they could see something that the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of that day could not see, who Jesus really was. And these blind men knew who he was, and they also knew that he could heal them. And they requested mercy, have mercy on us, son of David, which I think implies that that they were looking for complete wholeness, not just to receive their sight, but to receive cleansing and and to be forgiven of their sins and to have their spirit healed too. have mercy on us. And Jesus asked them if they believed and they told him that they did. And as with the other healings that we see, faith was the component in the healing. Look what he said. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done? Then Jesus told them to go and don't tell anybody about what happened. Now I think that's interesting because today, when you have those that travel around and and have healing services and campaigns, it's pretty much the opposite. It's go and tell everybody what I did and have them come back and bring lots of money. Totally the opposite of what Jesus said. He said, go and don't tell anybody. Now, of course they didn't do that. And even if they would have tried, it would have been obvious to all the people that knew them that they used to be blind and now they can see so it didn 't really work out quite that way now, the theologians have debated why Jesus told them not to tell anyone because Jesus did this quite often. One thought is that people came to, that many people that came to Jesus were only interested in healing they weren 't interested in salvation or anything. They were sick they knew this guy could heal him heal me and if if they went and told everybody, then it could slow Jesus' travels down because he would be in this crowd so much that he could never get anywhere. So that's one thought. Another thought that says that Jesus' primary mission was one of spiritual healing. Not necessarily just physical healing, but healing the, the, the soul. And the mind. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and in verses 13 through 16, we're not going to read that, but it records that Jesus healed a man that had been blind since his birth. And this controversial healing, often when Jesus healed people, it kind of raised controversy among the religious leaders. But this controversial healing gave Jesus a chance to talk about not just blindness, but he talked about spiritual blindness. And we have to realize that theologically, we are all born blind on a spiritual level and that this blindness can only be healed through Jesus. And we will not be able to see spiritually until we come to Jesus and allow him to heal us. Because everybody that is born because of Adam's original sin is born into sin. And when you're born into sin, you are spiritually blind. You don't see the things as God sees them. You don't see other people as God sees them. But when we receive salvation and we are saved, we are supposed to be transformed. And our eyes are open spiritually, and we should then look at things in the way Christ looks at them. And we should look at people in the way that Christ looks at them. Stay with me. We're going somewhere here. I promise. So as he got through healing these two blind men, as he's leaving, he was brought a man that was possessed of a demon, and he was mute. He could not talk. It says that Jesus cast out the demon, and when the demon was driven out, the man was able to speak. And the crowd was amazed and they said, nothing like this has ever been done in Israel. Now think of what that did to the spiritual leaders of that day. Here's this man who came from virtually nowhere. He wasn't a, an elite in society. He was just an ordinary man as far as everybody was concerned. But he was going around doing these things, and all of a sudden he does things and people say, nobody else has ever done this. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. And when the demon, bleh, where did that go? Jesus went all through the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Remember that line right there. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This journey that Jesus was on was one of several tours that Jesus made through the area called Palestine, proclaiming the good news. While he was on these journeys, he taught in synagogues, he he preached in public places and he healed all types of sickness and disease. And Jesus' teaching in the synagogues often brought about opposition from the Pharisees especially, but many of the religious leaders of the day. But the things that he said and the things that he taught and the things that he told them of who he was were validated by the miracles that he performed. When he said, I am the Messiah, he proved it because he could go out and heal somebody. Verse 35 kind of points to the threefold ministry that is mentioned several times throughout the Gospels. And because it's mentioned so many times in in the Gospels, I believe that it indicates that this was a normal practice. This is what God, this is what Jesus did. He went about teaching. He went about preaching. He went about healing or reaching out. Preaching, teaching, and reaching. And the amazing thing is that these are all the things that the prophets said that the Messiah would do. Through all of these years, the prophets had said, this Messiah will come and these are the things he will do. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he does those things and they still don't believe. They weren't looking for the right thing. The healing that Jesus did, as we said before, was not just from sickness, Jesus realized that people were hurting in many ways in addition to their physical sickness. And since he was a a person of, of great compassion, he sought to alleviate their suffering. Back in verse 36, it said, because of his compassion, He had compassion on them when he saw the crowds. He could have said, you know, I'm really tired. I just want to be alone. But he had compassion because he saw the crowds. And he saw, it says that he he saw them, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You say, well, how did he heal people other than than physically sick? Here's an interesting way to look at it. Let's go back to Jairus. At the point that he learns that the daughter is dead, she's not sick anymore. Jairus wasn't sick. But through healing this little girl, he healed the suffering that this father felt. It wasn't just about raising this little girl from the dead. It was about healing the hurt that this father had. And I believe that that shows us that that Jesus was concerned about how people felt. How they hurt. And the world hasn't changed. We are surrounded by people all the time that are hurting. That have lost hope. That something tragic has happened in their life and they have nowhere to turn except to what they can do within themselves. This is interesting. The verb that describes Jesus' compassion for people in Matthew 9 and 36 is found only in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That particular verb. It refers to having deep, empathetic feelings. It's often translated as pity. Now stay with me and and watch this right here. Eight of the 12 times the word is used in the Gospels, it refers to the feeling that Jesus had toward the people before he healed them. It wasn't just about the healing. It was how he felt about them and the feelings they had when he saw them. When he looked at these people, he said, these people are hurting These people have a need. And some of you are going, oh, I see where he's going. It means that Jesus was moved in his emotions in caring about someone. And as a result, he acted on his or her behalf verse 36 tells us that that Jesus also recognized that people needed guidance and they needed leadership. He realized that the people that he saw in these crowds, these vast crowds of people that he traveled among, were as vulnerable as sheep without a shepherd. And the, the, the image of a shepherd in the Bible is not anything new here. It's used throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament compared people to lost sheep in need of God as their shepherd. One of these references is found in Isaiah 53 and 6. It says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Need a shepherd. Everyone has gone astray. We need someone to lead us. We need someone to follow. When Herod heard that there was wise men from the east that came seeking after this child that was born he called all his wise men together and he said tell me where the prophet said that this christ would be born and in matthew 2 and 6 this is how they answered him but you bethlehem and land of judah are by no means least among the rulers of judah for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people israel this was prophecy from the old testament Jesus referred to himself as a shepherd in John 1 and 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That's not the right scripture. Jesus likened the religious leaders of that day's attacks and their actions towards the people. He likened these religious leaders as wild animals attacking defenseless sheep. And because of that, he represented the good shepherd. These religious rulers were all about themselves. They were all about what's in it for me. Look at me, look what I can do. Look at me, look how holy I am. Look at me, I know the scripture. Look at me, I am I look exactly like I'm supposed to look. And all the time tearing down people and not really reaching out to anyone. All of the emotions that Jesus showed came out of compassion for people. What is compassion? St. Thomas Aquinas said, I would rather feel compassion than know the meaning of it. And although I completely agree with that, I will give you a definition anyway. Compassion is an understanding of the emotional state of another. Understanding of the emotional state of another. It is often combined with a desire to alleviate or reduce the suffering of another or to show special kindness to those who suffer. Does that describe what Jesus did exactly? You look at a person and you say, That person is hurting. You listen to that person talk and you go, that person is hurting, that person has a need. What can I do to alleviate the pain and suffering that that person is experiencing? Here's the clincher. If we are truly called to be Christ-like, then I believe that we too must have compassion like Jesus did. The sad thing is that many Christians are content to be Christians for and by themselves. They hold the gospel to themselves, content to sit in their own little room and feast upon it all alone. I got mine. But I'm hurting. Well, you can get yours the same way I got mine. It's not what Jesus did. This is not the compassion of Christ. It's true that at times Jesus did desire to be alone. There's times it said that he he went away from the crowd. But it's also true that more often than that, he was out among the people. He went and saw and he had compassion. And I believe that's exactly what we need to do. We need to go and see and have compassion. You see, if we really look, we don't have any problem finding those that are hurting. Because there are millions of hurting people in the world today. But it's easy not to see if we never go and look. Go and see and have compassion. We can pretend that we don't see them. Or as Jesus did, we can reach out to those that were hurting. This is one of those things that I. Go ahead. Bible talks about Jesus suffered in all things as we and because he suffered in those things he knew what it was like to hurt those of us that have been hurt and have had those feelings of of being hurt and being crushed should be all the more aware of those around us that are hurting Hurting people are not always easy to detect, especially in church. Stay with me for just a minute. Hurting people are not always easy to detect, especially in church. You say, well, why is that? Well, because many people believe that church is the place where you come and you hide your hurts and you act like everything's fine. Why? Because a lot of people have been taught that's the way you're supposed to do it. When you walk at the door, you leave everything outside and you walk in and put on a big happy face and you pretend that everything's fine. Jesus didn't require that. I believe that church is the place where people can come hurting and receive something to soothe the pain. I believe that church should be a place where people come and are restored where people come that are broken and they leave whole. Remember what we started with, that made whole. It wasn't just about sickness. It was about broken hearts being made whole, broken lives being made whole, broken families being made whole. What better place than church? in the presence of God, to find that wholeness. God help us that we ever get to the point where we feel like people are supposed to come in and put on a happy face in church and pretend that everything is fine. Right. Some people believe that Christians should never be sick. So... You just come and you, you sit there and pretend you're not sick. You know what? If you're sick, call on the elders of the church and they'll anoint them with oil and they'll pray for them and they'll be healed. Well, I don't really want to interrupt the service. You're not interrupting the service. That's what the service is about. That's what church is about. Church is about people being made whole. It's not about an agenda. It's not about a program. It's not about how many songs we can squeeze into 25 minutes or how long the pastor's going to preach. It's about broken people being made whole. And when we get to a point to where broken people are not made whole, we are not doing God's will. I have a very good friend that is going through amazing things. Many of y'all have met him. His name is Ray. He came to church a few weeks ago. And Ray wouldn't mind me telling this because he is just rejoicing right now. About two weeks ago, he went into a detox center to try to help deal with his crack cocaine problem. He's going on about two weeks now that he hasn't smoked crack. And he came into my office yesterday and he stood there and he was like, God has changed me. God has delivered me. I have dealt with this for 40 years and God has delivered me. And I said that to say this, He said, I had something today happen to me that was just unbelievable. Really? And I wasn't sure if it was unbelievable good or unbelievable bad, but he told me. He said, I had this person that's a Christian come and witness again, in air quotes, to me. And this person has talked to me about God before. It's a neighbor. And Ray's still dealing with some stuff. You don't spend 40 years in substance abuse and you walk out and you're just... Yeah. And he said, as this person was witnessing to him, he said, I realized, and I don't say this for my own anything. He, he said, I realize why I love you. Okay. Why is that, Ray? Because I realize that you love me. Yeah. He said, and you have told me over and over how much God loves me. He said, as this person, I realize that as all the different times that he's witnessed to me, the biggest thing that he brought up was, Ray, you really shouldn't be smoking. He knows that. And he started crying. He said, David, he never one time told me that God loved me. He said that's not what it's about he said he doesn't know what God has done for me he doesn't know how God has changed me after 40 years of this terrible addiction that has destroyed my life God has healed me I know God loves me and as I thought I'm sitting there and I've been studying about compassion and how we should have compassion for those that are lost. If you read where Jesus went in and and healed anybody, I think there's one time he told them, go and sin no more. I'm not saying that you're supposed to get saved and go out and sin. Don't take that out of here and say that's what he said. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, when Jesus saw where someone was hurting, He healed the hurt that they had. The two blind men, they were blind, and He healed their blindness. He didn't say, your faith has made you whole, now you can see, go get a haircut. I'm just saying, that's not what it said. That she was a, a, a sinner, but like husband said, lady, why, why did devil get rid of all your husband? Then come to me. But he, he talked to her that she was shocked to know she was so was a bad sinner then, and this man was able to treat me as good as he was treated. Exactly, exactly. When Jesus spoke to her, he spoke to her. Like he loved her. And not like he was judging her. And she knew that he knew about her life. There you go. There you go. And as I listened to Ray talk yesterday, and I I listened to him as he he went on and on about what God is doing in his life, and then he walked outside, and he does some little odd jobs around the, the office, and he was outside trimming some bushes and stuff, and I had to go into one of the front offices that he was just on the other side outside the window trimming bushes, and I stopped. I heard something. I went, what is that? And I hear him going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As he's trimming bushes, thank you, Jesus. That is transformed. And a lot of people would look at Ray and say, I didn't do anything for you. You still look the same. He knows better. The people that came to Jesus had all types of hurts in their lives, and he never turned them away, and neither should we. And it's not just helping those that tell us they're hurting. I believe that we need to have a sensitivity to see when people are hurting. We need to pray, God, help me to have this this sensitivity. When I come into the presence of someone who has a need or is hurting, that I know that. Through the Spirit, I know that. And I know that I need to reach out to that person. Not so caught up in our own world and our own problems that we can't see the hurt around us. Now, let me say that about this. Hang on just a second. I'm not saying to ignore your own pain. I'm not saying ignore your own hurt, but I'm saying that in the middle of all your pain and all your hurt, you can still reach out to other people. Brother Ashley. Exactly. That's a, that's a great point. And you know, here's another thing. If we're at church and, and we really feel that there's someone that is is hurting, there is nothing wrong with going up to that person and putting your arm around them and saying, I love you. And just pray with them. What's it gonna hurt? What's it going to help? It might change everything in that person's life. Just to know that you care. Sure. I think as Christians we often fail in this area. Sometimes in spite of what we call ourselves, we act like we just don't care about people. And without knowing it sometimes, we use that we're so busy as an excuse not to have to care. If I stay busy doing other things, then I don't have to care about other people. And I know this has become kind of a common and maybe even a trite saying, but is that what Jesus would do? Look at it this way. God Almighty saw you when you were in sin. He knew everything that you would ever do. He knew every sin that you would ever commit. And He knew that you would have to pay for those sins yourself by spending an eternity in hell unless there was someone to take your place. There had to be this substitute sacrifice. And He had compassion on all of us and He sent His Son to bear our sins on a cross. And although Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life, He died a cruel death that He did not deserve. All this so we didn't have to. Not just so we didn't have to die, but then in addition, so that we could spend an eternity with Him. That is compassion. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, speaking of Jesus. He was moved with compassion. He was so moved with compassion that compassion, as it were, did eat him up. He was utterly consumed with love and died in the flame of ardent love towards the sons of men. Wow. He was consumed with love. And yet, oftentimes we're too busy to help our next door neighbor. We're too busy to drive one a person to the store who doesn't drive. We're too busy to donate time to serve food to the homeless. Or maybe we can't afford to, to give to missions so that missionaries can go to other places to tell people who are dying every day without Jesus Christ that He loves them and died to take their place. We just, just can't. I believe there is so much more that we can do than we do now. And if you're already doing all these things, then God bless you. I'm sure He already has. And really, this lesson this morning is probably only for those that are listening online or that would listen to this in a podcast or on a CD or a tape. It's not for us. So excuse me for a moment as I speak to them. There is so much that we can do to show compassion to others. We just need to open our eyes open our hearts and realize that there's people that are hurting all around us. And I believe that we need to not just see it. It's good that we see it. But then what do we do about it once we see it? In the future, I would hope that we would pray that God would give us a greater Burden for hurting people. God, that you would show me those people that are hurting. I have found that when you are in a mindset of, God, help me see hurting people, how many people you actually find that are hurting. And They were always there. We just didn't see them. Now I realize the argument that's made often is, well, you just have to be so careful when you help people that you know they might take advantage of you. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. But let me tell you something that Ray said yesterday. I've known him for a couple of years. He said, David, I remember the first day I walked in this door and I asked you for money. And I lied to you what I was going to do with it. And I said, I know that. He said, but you gave it to me anyway. He said, and you treated me with respect and you you told me that you really cared. And I will tell you this. I have many people come into my office that say, I need for this or $10 for that or $6.13 for this. Oh, yeah. I'm not kidding. Sounds more realistic that way. But Ray came in and he told me that he needed $10 to go to be able to stay in the Talbot house that night because he'd been there for so many days after that you have to pay. And I said, okay. And I kind of figured he wasn't going to use it for that. He said, if you will give me the money, I will come back and I will pay you back. I've never had anybody do that yet until Ray. He came back two days later, and he said, I told you I would bring that money back to you. Here it is. Don't worry about it. He said, David, I manipulated you, and I lied to you and you still loved me. Yeah, sometimes when we help people, they will take advantage. But you know what? If they see the love of God in our heart, if they see the love of God in our lives, isn't it worth it? And there's going to be those that never come back. When Jesus healed the the ten lepers, I believe it was, they all walked away. How many came back? One, two, one. It was one. I think. (laughs) So that's not very good percentages. And if we think we're going to do a whole lot better than Jesus, you're kidding yourself. There's going to be a lot of people that you reach out to that just take advantage of your help. But you know what? Those one that comes back, the one that comes back and says, two years later, God has transformed my life. God has healed me. God has changed me into a different person. And it started when you showed me that you loved me and that God loved me. Is it worth all the other ones? Amen. You bet. You bet. I Absolutely. And some people say, well, I can't ask God to show me people that are hurting. He might actually do it. (laughs) Yes, He just might do that. And there's an old saying, and I know it's kind of worn out, but it's saying that you might be the only Jesus that these people ever see. And in spite of that saying being kind of worn out, let me ask you this. If that's the truth that you might be the only Jesus that they ever see. How are you portraying Jesus? Are you an accurate snapshot of Jesus? Are they seeing a Jesus who loves and cares about them deeply? Or are they seeing a Jesus that is just simply too busy and doesn't even care about their needs? We need to make sure that we're sending out a clear reflection of who Jesus is. Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Sister Mary DeHart wrote a song a long time ago. And there's one line in that song that says this, When you speak, does the world think of Jesus? When you speak, does the world think of Jesus? We have so many wonderful examples throughout the gospel of the compassion of Christ. How he reached out to those that were around him. Have we truly followed his example? Let me ask you this. If we never told anyone, would they know that we're trying to be like Jesus by our actions that we show toward others. Let me say that again. If we never told anyone, would they know that we're trying to be like Jesus by our actions that we show toward others? I don't we better start getting on our knees a little harder. I agree. But I would tell you this, that there's a lot of people in the world that if they didn't tell you they were a Christian, you'd never know it. I'm not talking about their things they do wrong or whatever. I'm talking about the way they treat their fellow human being. Hebrews 13 and 3. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. You go, what does that have to do with anything? There are a lot of people in prison today that are in prisons that don't have bars on the windows or guards at the doors. There are people that are locked in prisons of their mind. There are people that are prisoners of addictions that the devil has placed them in. There are people that are in prisons of hopelessness. There are people that are in prisons of loneliness. And we are to treat them as if we were their fellow prisoners. Which means we have to realize how they feel. We have to show them understanding, compassion for their hurts. He goes on to say to treat those who are mistreated as we ourselves were suffering. We see someone hurting and, and we treat them as if we were hurting. How do we approach that person if it was me? You see, you can't do any good thing and ultimately it not be a good thing. What do you mean by that? What I mean is, even if you go and you, you put yourself out there a little bit to help someone, and they don't respond the way that you think, you've still shown them the love of Christ. Jesus healed countless numbers of people. And yet when he was crucified there was only a handful of people that even bothered to come and see it. And yet we think our results should be so much better. I want every person that I reach out to to fall on their knees and repent right there on the spot. Remember, a lot of the people that came to Jesus for healing only came to Him for healing. They didn't care about what he was saying. They didn't care about the gospel that he was was telling them about. They just didn't care. They were sick and they wanted to be healed. And he healed them anyway. And let me tell you this, if you reach out to somebody and you show them that you love them and you show them the love of Christ, at least they know that there's someone that loves them and that God does love them. That's exactly right. At least you've done your part. If you say, well, no way I'm going to do that. I might get taken advantage of. Then you haven't done your part. That's right. Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord, we thank you today for the compassion that you have shown to us. As we leave this place today, would you help us to purpose in our lives to be the image of you to the world? Lord, I ask that you would give us a desire to reach out to hurting people. Help us to be willing to pray with and for others. Help us to be willing to comfort someone that is hurting. Help us to be willing to listen to someone that needs to talk. Help us to show that there is hope in you to someone that feels hopeless or helpless. Help us to be a friend to the friendless and lonely. Help us to be sensitive to the hurting of others. And Lord, help us to be a light and a reflection of you in a dark and hurting world. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.